This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. My name is Paul, I'm a pastor and a teacher here. And it means a lot that you'd come out on a brisk, cold Sunday morning to be with us, but it means a lot that you'd share this time with us. Uh, So take out a Bible, a copy of the notes that you received when you walked in. There's Bibles located in the seats in front of you. Friday morning, my wife and I were watching the news because we wanted to make sure that the day started well. And one of the leading stories was a discussion on a crisis that some of the big box stores are experiencing. That there's a drop in the amount of groceries that people are buying. People aren't buying as much food at the stores. And what they are connecting the dots to is specifically a group of people who are taking a certain diet medication that lowers their appetite. Apparently, if you're not as hungry, you buy less groceries. And so they're trying to figure out how are they going to maneuver this crisis. And the reporter asks them, says, how are you able? And they're like, oh, we track all of it. We track everything. They know who buys what, how much they buy. And so trying to discern this current marketing problem, like, oh, these people that have started buying this particular um, hunger abatement medication are buying less food and different food, less sugar-oriented food and more vegetables and more fruit. It's trackable. We can track all of it. None of us are surprised by that. None of us is threatened by that. It's not the mark of the beast. It's none of those things, okay? We just know that, yeah, they track things. I bumped into this. I remember this was a few years ago. I started, you know, had my space phone with me, my smartphone. I get in the car and all of a sudden it dings. Bing! Paul, it will take you 17 minutes to get to work today. Well, how did it know that? Well, because it tracks your habits. It knows, oh, At this particular time, if Paul's getting in his car, he's probably going to this place. FYI, Paul, this is how long it's going to take you. You might not want to go out that road because of construction. Take this road. It's going to take you 17 minutes to get there. No one's surprised. It's trackable. My habits are trackable. It's no different than on Thursdays. If we go to the mailbox at our house, there's a stack of coupons from the particular grocery store that we use. And it's always interesting to me how they always know exactly what coupons to send us. Oh, here's the box of this, and here's a coupon for this, and here's the coupon for this. Oh, and here's a couple other things that there's coupons for if you wanted to try this. Like, how do they know that? They know what we buy. It's trackable. The habit is trackable. There's a when to it. There's a where to it. There's a how to it. There's a who to it. I say all of that because we have come to a place in our series on prayer that's eight weeks before this where the rubber really needs to meet the road. We need to be done talking about prayer and we need to start doing The prayer thing. We need a habit of prayer. Something that's trackable. Something that's noticeable. If you're a guest, this is awesome for you. Because I'm going to survey and review eight weeks worth of preaching all on one Sunday. So you get on. Some of you are like, oh, seriously? Had I known that, I would have just waited till this sermon and came. So if you take out those notes that you received when you walked in. And you look at them, what I have tried to do, wanted to do, was give you a resource, church family, that you can stick inside of your notes so that we can develop a habit of prayer. 
Maybe prayer is something completely new to you. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with and want to try to maneuver and grow in. Prayerfully, this resource will be helpful. Jesus had a trackable habit of prayer. There's a couple of times in Luke's gospel where it says, and as was his custom, Jesus did this. In the first place, in Luke chapter 4, it's talking about how Jesus on Saturdays would go to synagogue as it was the Sabbath, as was his custom, Jesus went to synagogue. If we were to put that in our language, Western language, churchy language, it might have flown something like this. And on Sunday, as was his custom, he went to church. Jesus had a trackable habit, a routine, a rhythm. In the same gospel, okay, later in Luke 22, after what we call the Lord's Supper, the Passover night, this is before his crucifixion, it says, and as was his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives, a place for prayer. His routine, his habit was so established that the man who's going to turn him over to the authorities, Judas, doesn't have to go hunting for, for Jesus. When Judas shows up with the armed guards to have Jesus arrested, Judas knows exactly where Jesus is going to be. It's not like Jesus sent out a text to all of his buddies. Hey, it's not like he sent a snap up on the Mount of Olives. Hey, check me out. No, they all knew Jesus is going to be where? He's going to be on the Mount of Olives. He's going to be at prayer. Judas knew exactly where to find him. Why? Because as was his custom, as was his habit, Jesus worshiped, Jesus prayed. If we are, if we say we are followers of Christ, followers of Jesus, shouldn't there be a habit of prayer that corresponds to Jesus? So much so that if someone were to say, hey, I'm looking for, hey, I'm looking for, well, what time is it? When is it? Oh, I bet you they're in praying. I bet you they're at prayer. We have to stop talking about prayer and start doing the prayer thing. So I'm really glad that you're here this morning as we tie all these loose ends together. And if you're a guest, you get a cute little fun summary of eight weeks of preaching. So how do we do this? How do we get to this, this habit of prayer? To help, well, let's turn to the book of First Timothy First Timothy. And take out these notes. First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to drill down on a couple things. But I said this was a bit of a review, a bit of a, a survey. So let me get us into that prayer space, talking about prayer. Maybe this is new information, but for those of you who've been journeying with me, this whole study, let's just, these are some of the things that we've said. Uh, these bullet points, key prayer insights. Each one of them is kind of the big idea of one of our weeks as we were teaching about prayer. In the beginning, we said this. We said, prayer is vocally pouring out hearts to God in praise, petition, confession, and thanksgiving. Prayer is something that we as humans are actually created to do. We bridge the gap between heaven and the earth below. We were designed by God to be participants in this thing called prayer. It's what we're made for. It's vocally pouring out the things that are in our heart. Now we wanted to drill down on that. All right, what's interceding prayer though? What's interceding prayer? An interceding prayer, as we worked our way through the Bible, it means meeting, it means pleading, it means reaching, it means breaching. It's a very militant aspect or our character to interceding prayer. There's something about battling evil when we pray interceding prayer prayer. I talked about that week two. The third time we got together, we talked about why do we pray in Jesus' name? How many of you have done that? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you said it? Said it, yep. Why? 
that's, that's what you say. Why do we say it? What does it mean that we get to come before the Father in Jesus' name? Remember, we gave you access badges in the same way. If you're going to move into a certain you know, facility where you need to have an access badge, Jesus, because of his work as the mediator between the Father and us, he gives us his access. Now, in his name, we have authority and access to come before the Father. We can make decisions. We went on to say in our series that if it comes to how do we pray, what do we pray, that there's a couple things. Interceding prayer focuses on reconciling people to the Father, restoring them to the image of Jesus. If I, I don't know how to pray for someone. You could be a complete stranger. I could pray for these two things. I can pray for, pray for the reconciliation, that the relationship with the Father is restored. I can pray that they are restored, that the brokenness of sin and corruption and treason that works its way in my soul, that God would begin to put the pieces back together again. I don't have to know you, and I can still pray that for you. But we went on to say, remember, that interceding prayer has this militant aspect to it. That interceding prayer breaches evil and frees captives from strongholds of the mind, heart, and demonic evil. That, yeah, there are strongholds. There are lies that get established in our thinking, in our mind, that need to be torn down. It's one of the things that we try to do on Sunday morning as we get together. Let's think about things biblically. There are strongholds in my heart, in my soul, because of treason and disobedience. Pride that needs to be torn down. But there's also forces of evil that set up strongholds that need to be torn down. Think about habits and addictions. Evil forces that come against. We began to tie all things up. We talked about the Holy Spirit. How he'll pray with us and sometimes through us to assist and bring awareness and advocate before the Father. What a blessing that in this amazing thing called prayer, the Father's involved. Jesus gives us his name and the Holy Spirit comes to help us in our prayer. Praying with, praying for, sometimes praying through. And then last week, only hearts fueled by the Father's love and focused on Jesus' return will intercede and pray through the delay. That why don't I pray the way I should? I know prayer is important. I could ask all of you. How many of you here think prayer is important? Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. You don't have to go to church at all. You could, yeah, I got a feeling that prayer is important. Why don't we pray? It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. We need hearts that are fueled by God's love and Jesus' return. And then this week, this is what I'd like us to look at and talk about this morning. Victory requires advanced prayer, a tactical commitment to how, when, and where, and who. Victory. Victory for the ministry of God's church. Victory for the kingdom of God to see heaven come to earth an advanced prayer, meaning something that goes before. Prayer that is this so that we can do something else. We're going to do this thing called prayer so that something else can happen. So let's look, if you will, at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to give you some context to Timothy. Timothy is an apprentice of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a church planner throughout uh, the Mediterranean areas like Turkey and Macedonia into Greece. And he would go on these ministry trips and he had a whole team that would come with him. And as he would establish and start churches, he'd move on to the next place and he'd leave a team behind. He'd often say to Philip or to Timothy or to Silas, Titus, and say, hey, you guys stay here and you establish the church that I started. He'd sometimes write them letters. Hey, think about this. Have you thought about this strategy? Maybe you have a coach or a mentor and you'll say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. I'm having a problem with that. And he'd write back to them, think about this, focus on this, don't get distracted by that. I want you to see, before we get to our key passage, how the Apostle Paul sets up the life and the rhythm of following Jesus. What are the words and the terms that he uses to describe it? He has this to say in chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, the aim of our charge is love. The aim, the target some of you go to target practice. You have something that you're aiming at. He says, what we're doing here, there's an aim. There's a target. That target is love. 
And so we've received a charge, like a good soldier gets marching orders. The marching orders for the church, the marching orders for its leadership is what? Love. That's the direction. That's where we're headed. That's the mountain we need to get to. So we've been ordered that way. Look how he goes on to describe it in verse 18. This charge, he says, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. When the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to think about what a church does, its ministry, its work to bring and lift up the name of Jesus, he calls it a good warfare. I worked in a lot of churches and sometimes there's just warfare. He calls this the good warfare. The good battle. Something that we're to struggle and labor at. That there's going to be resistance and there's going to be hardship. But he says, Timothy, this is the good warfare. This charge, that target, that mountain, this ministry, this is the good fight. He goes on to say this. Holding faith in a good conscience, rejecting this, some have shipwrecked their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now that's a different kind of ministry. That's a different kind of prayer. Like it's gotten so intense, some people have forgotten what the real priorities are, and as a result have shipwrecked their faith. Okay, maybe you can think of a shipwreck in the back of your mind. Maybe you've watched National Discovery. Maybe you've watched, you know, a Disney movie where there's some ship that's wrecking. People who've lost sight of what matters most and how to engage in that which matters most have, as a result, wrecked their faith. And then he calls them out by names. That was kind of gutsy. But he says, and I have turned them over to Satan. I have actually given them over, he says, in prayer to the enemy so that they could learn. That's kind of intense. Most of us are perfectly content. Let me show up on Sunday morning. Let me put a five in the plate. I want to sing Amazing Grace. I want to go home. Because the game starts at, unless you're recording it. Right? That's, that's, I'm good at that level of following Jesus. Paul says, nope. That's, that's not the good warfare. He then goes on to list in his letters the things that leadership should focus on and what ministry in a church needs to be about and to watch out for false teachers. But he continues by saying this. So first of all, that means the most important thing, that which comes first. This so that the most important thing that the church needs to do next for the good warfare is this. He says this in chapter 2, verse 1. First of all then, I urge, I plead, I beg, I want, I desire supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all. So the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, this is warfare, it's good warfare, it's a good fight, so the most important thing that you can do is have a cappuccino out front so that everyone can have nice warm drinks on Sunday morning. That's, no. So you can, make sure you have really good hopping music. That's the most, no, that's not what he said. Make sure you got nice carpeting. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? He said the most important thing in the good warfare is, first of all, make sure they pray. Make sure they pray. And not just pray, there's a how to the prayer. Right? Because we can pray, right? We can, we can pray. We can certainly, we can all gather together and we can pray for Aunt Flo's toenail, right? We could do that thing. We're just going to get together. We're going to pray for, the, no, he says there's a how to. There's a how to. It's, it's this kind of prayer. It's supplicating prayer. It's interceding prayer. It's the meeting and the pleading and the reaching and the breaching of prayer. 
So what I did in your notes is I, I wanted to give you a how. A how. And I tried to take all the things that we've been learning, church, family, and guests. Again, thank you for being with us. It means a lot to us. Let me tile this thing. If we were to put that in a prayer form, to do what the Apostle Paul said, maybe it would flow something like this. And maybe if you've been with me these last eight weeks, you say, oh, we taught about that. Oh, we taught about that. Oh, we taught about that. It might go something like this. Our loving Father. This is in the bottom of your notes. Remember, I want to remember that I'm loved by the Father. In Jesus' name, because he gives me access and authority. With the aid of the Holy Spirit, we talked about that, we plead for, and maybe already you have someone that comes to your heart and to your mind. There's someone that's on your heart and mind right now. May they be reconciled to you. The relationship repaired. May they be restored in every way to the image of Jesus. Souls are broken by sin and corruption. Our Father, breach any strongholds in their minds and their hearts that keep them from you. Destroy any demonic strongholds that hold them captive. Because we know that's true. The Apostle Paul taught about that. There are strongholds. Lies that we hold on to in our mind. Pride that accumulates in our heart. That's like a stronghold. Evil. And then by your spirit, help us lift them up until your kingdom is manifest in their life, here as in heaven. Amen. Okay, that's just, a, that's not a magic incantation. You guys got that, right? This ain't some Harry Potter thing where if I say the magic words, labiosa, and then all of a sudden now God starts doing amazing things in prayer. That's not what this is. But what it is is a way of just drawing all of those pieces together so that when we engage in interceding prayer, I'm reminded, my prayer is that ultimately you don't need this lame prayer from Pastor Paul at all. You know that, oh, as I think of, or the Holy Spirit draws this person to my mind, oh, these are the things that I need to be praying and remembering. Remembering that I'm loved by the Father and I have access by Jesus and the Spirit's gonna help me. So, oh, there's Tom. So I'm thinking about Tom and I'm praying restoration and reconciliation. And are there strongholds? And I'm praying for Tom. Oh, there's Martha. Let me think about Martha. I'm thinking about Martha. Let me intercede from Martha. So I'm going to reconciliation, restoration, I'm praying strongholds. Spirit, help me keep doing this. Oh, 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 there's Harry. I'm praying for Harry. How am I praying for Harry? I don't need to use this, but in the beginning when you learn to ride a bicycle, it kind of helps to have some training wheels, right? It helps to have some training wheels. So this, we're going to take, this is a way to maybe give us some training wheels when it comes to interceding prayer. So that, because there's a, there's a how. There's a how. But he goes on to say this. Be made for all people, all people, but specifically for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray for people, but specifically pray for kings and those who are in positions of leadership. Pray tactically. Pray practically. Pray strategically for these people because it opens the door for effective gospel ministry. Pray this so that this can happen. Pray this. Pray it for people in politics that the ministry can go out. Pray for leaders so that the ministry can go out. Pray for them, the who, so that we can move forward. On the back of your notes, I tried to give you some who's to pray for. And then you shouldn't be surprised at the very bottom, the who. Pray for our political and government officials at all federal, state, and local levels. Listen, if you're complaining about the government and you're not praying for the government, you're really lost. You're really lost. Like, you'll post it on your Facebook wall, but you won't bring it before the Father. You're confused. You're confused. 
So let's pray for them. If you live in Piqua, then you're praying for the government officials in Piqua. If, you're praying, if you live in Troy, pray for them. Pray for those who are in positions of authority in Columbus. Pray for those who are in positions of authority at the federal level. Pray for the who, strategically. Why? So there can be effective, peaceful, so the church can do what it needs to do and the government doesn't get in the way. Pray tactically. Pray practically. Let me be selfish. Would you pray for me, please? Pray for my family. Pray for my wife. Pray for my sons, Lucas, Aiden, and Jackson. Okay? That I would be able to do what I need to do as a pastor to lead our church family. And no matter what you think about my job, and I'm sure some of you sit around and try to figure out what I do, and that's fine. Her job's even more hardened. The emotions that she has to maneuver, the challenges that she experiences as a pastor's wife. Pray for her. Pray that she has patience with me. Please. Pray for my sons, Lucas, Aiden, and Jackson. As they grow in ministry and they grow in love as lights in their community. And I put Ephesians chapter 6, 18 through 20. That's just another place where the Apostle Paul said, and pray for me also that I would have boldness and courage to share. And that's what I would ask for. How do I pray for Pastor Paul? Oh, he's asking for boldness to share the message the way he needs to be. Also, pray for our other elders. Pray for Adam Bennett, Doug Brooks, and their families. I'm so thankful for them as church leaders in our community. Pray for them. Pray for their, their families. Pray for our, our core ministry leaders, Vanessa and Sonia, Rose, Carolyn, along with their families as they oversee big departments of ministry in our church family. That they would have wisdom and patience and insight as we work together. Specific prayer needs that are shared within our worship gatherings in your life group. Oh, there's cards located in the seats in front of you and you know, we get those and we pray for those and I'll be praying over these in a little bit. Maybe there's things that have come up in your life group or things that people have just shared with you. Hey, will you pray for this? Will you pray for that? Absolutely. Now I know how to do that. Our loving Father, in Jesus' name, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, I plead for whatever it is. And the lost. People who don't know Jesus. Don't know that King Jesus has come. Know how much they are loved and cherished by the Father. Pray for the who. Who? So that, he says, pray for them so that we may lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life in every way. He says, this is good, he says in verse 3. This is a good thing. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, this is a good thing. God, who wants to see people restored and reconciled. And then he goes on to say in verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. He goes on to say lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. He talks, I said, women make sure you're dressing appropriately. This is a big issue in the Ephesian church. It's really difficult for us to force a theology upon the context. But there, he had some real problems within the church with the way that women were handling themselves. Okay? But he kind of parallels that with guys. He says, all right, women should adorn themselves and act in a godly way. And men, you should be clothed in prayer. He says, I desire that the men pray. That men, you have a habit of prayer. Men, what are you known for? What are you known for? Jesus was known for his habits of worship and prayer. What are you known for, men? 
You're known for maybe this habit or cheering on this team or that problem or that. Or are you known for being a man of prayer? Well, Pastor Paul, my dad was a jerk and he didn't teach me how to pray. Then learn. Then learn. Apostle Paul said, this is the good warfare. And we like to fight, right? Guys, we're, we're all about fighting. Let's fight. And we'll, we'll have clubs about fighting. And we'll, we'll have get-togethers. And we'll fight. And we'll, we'll spar. And we'll, 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 we'll do the things. And men fight. And we, we're fighting. And we're fighters. And, but the Apostle Paul says, men, this is, this is the good fight. This is the good battle. How many of us, how many of us are known for fighting for certain things but not known for fighting for this? And if the aim is love, if the aim is love, if you love her, Husbands, if you love her, do you pray for her? Do you pray for her, her restoration as a woman? Are you known for praying for her? Are you known for holding her up? Pleading for her? Oh, that that would be said of me. Pastor Paul, a good husband? Oh, you ever hear how he prays for his wife? If you love your sons and your daughters and your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews and your neighbors and your coach, do you pray for them? Do you pray for them? Because the Apostle Paul says that's the good work, that's the work, that's the battle. And if you're going to charge the lines of evil, you're going to hit your knees. In Jesus' name, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to plead for them. He says, first of all, prayer. I desire men, you pray. You pray. If you don't know how to pray, you learn. If, if you'll do this, guys, I love you, okay? I love you. Why is he always yelling at us? Like, he's not nice. He never yells at the women, just yells at us. Hmm, he's not nice. Men, if you'll do this, you will start to see a shift in the world around you. Okay? Think about, if it helps, think about on a physical plane. Okay? Think about just on a purely physical level. If you're a good soldier who is told by his commander to establish um, a, a fortress, a fortification to keep chaos back. And if you're a good soldier and you do that, it would change the climate of everything around you, right? Right? Okay, now transport that very same idea into the spiritual world. Then, if you pray the way that we are taught to pray, you will see the fruit of that habit. There will be a shift in your marriage, in your parenting. There'll be a shift as the name of Jesus goes out in the world around you. Just and you can't, you won't be able to like, oh, look at that. It's it's like the weather has changed around you. I give you an example. 
the beginning of August, my sons were getting ready to begin their varsity season of soccer. And we're a soccer family. This is kind of how we roll. That's just what we do. And I've been talking to God. I'm sitting on the back porch. Oh, Father, I wish I had a more engaging way of involved in my son's lives at the school. I mean, I'm kind of like this back introvert. I really don't like being involved in things. Like I like being in the background and I want to support them. And, but is there any way? I don't have a lot of skills, marketable skills. But Father, could I be a chaplain at the school? For like the team. Like, that's a thing, right? That's a thing. Like, they have sports teams, have chaplains. Like, I give that, that would be cool. Because I can like pray and just, I know it's a public school. I don't know if you're allowed to do that or not. I don't know if that's the thing. Like, I don't know. But that'd be, Father, and I, I talked to my eldest, I talked to Aiden, I said, hey, what do you guys think? So, yeah, that'd be cool. The conversation was all of 10 seconds. I didn't do anything else after that because how are you going to go about that? Like, how are you going to actually pull that off, being a chaplain for a public school in a position that doesn't exist to do a thing that's not really a priority, right? Like, oh, whatever. We go on with life. Soccer season starts. Early into their season, uh, they're playing at a game up in St. Mary's. It's a Saturday game. And afterward, the other team came to the varsity team and says, hey, do you guys, would, do you want to stay after and pray with us? Because in our community, a small girl was killed and we just wanted to pray for the family. And the boy's like, sure, that's, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. So they did that. And then the conversation that the varsity men had afterwards was, wow, that was really neat. You know, what if we did that all the time? You know, what if we like could pray before the game and after the game? What if we did that kind of thing? And because my boys are my boys, well, our dad happened to say that he would be happy to lead us in prayer, like before the game. Oh, yeah, talk to your dad. Ask your dad. And so they approached me, and we have confirmed it with the coach. Because coach, I have six words in three years. Coach, talking to the coach. Just don't, don't talk to the coach. But I want to make sure that the coach is blessing. Because I'm about to do a spiritual thing inside of a public space where that's not really a thing that, you know, happens. Happens. And so I show up for the first game, and pray in the locker room and share a little bit. And by God's grace, we won that game. That was helpful from a street rep perspective. <laughs> he prayed, we lost. This guy's bad. <laughs> yeah. We got to the end of the game and I'm getting ready to get on my seat and the coach is like, Mr. Hicker now, come on, your turn. I'm like, What? And so, in the middle of Memorial Stadium at Troy, he had his team circle up at the center. And the other team circled up. He's like, your turn. Like, okay. Am I allowed to do this? Jesus. I led in prayer. And then there was that giant public space. A couple of days later, one of the team members came up to me and he said, uh, Hey, um, I've never, I don't talk to this player. I don't talk to any of the players. It's not a thing. He comes up to me and says, Hey, um, Things are really rough for my family. And um, sometimes I don't know if God listens when I pray. I'm like, uh, okay. Thank you for praying with us. That means a lot. Sure thing, man. And that's been my habit by God's grace 
opening up that door for ministry just to pray. And everything's been going, it's been exciting until yesterday. Yesterday, it was a disaster. I showed up when I normally showed up. You know, it was senior day, night, day. So that's an exciting time for seniors, 10 seniors. And so I, uh, I got to the locker room. Coach shared, all right, Pastor, I come up, I shared a little bit, prayed over the guys. And they went out and I took a walk around. That's just why I do walk around, you know, thinking geographically. Just God, may your blessing rest here. Father, would you be glorified and everything happens? Keep the players safe. Would you be present? I don't know, but just, we're just, it's a beautiful day. We're just asking your blessing. Came around to the back side, and there was a player from the other team that one of my sons had played with. And I recognized him, you know, fist bump with, hey, it's good to see you. I haven't been in a while. Waved up to his parents. I hadn't seen them up in the, you know, saw them up in the stands. You hadn't seen them in a while. And I just continued my prayer walk. Thirty minutes into the first half, complete mall and melee broke out on the field. And fights happen during sports, right? That'll happen. That player on the other side had actually taken one of our guys by the neck and was shoving him down into the ground. And there was lots of shoving and brawling back and forth. The refs did not have control of, nor did they see what had happened. And so there's this, let's keep everybody apart. Stands, fans are screaming. Fans are screaming on that side. Cards are coming out. That player was escorted off. They had to literally grab a hold of him from the other team and take him off. Our guys are trying to calm down. Parents are trying to calm down. Player escorted off. He grabbed his stuff, automatically threw his stuff down and bolted for our side again. He wants blood. He wants blood. His dad's coming over. Spirit's like, why don't you get closer to the field? No. Why would I want to do that? Yeah, why don't you? Got up and I went down. Referees and coaches are convening in the center what needs to happen. Our players are kind of doing their thing. and They're over there. Stands are screaming this and stands are screaming. That's a senior night. This is a big game. We're getting towards the end of the season, right? There's records are on the line and there's seating for tournament plays on the line and there's a lot of, there's a battle that's going on. I walk my way down and as I'm coming down, Memorial Stadium, I'm coming down the steps, I see this other player, the player, making his way around now from the other side. And he sees him and I see him and he throws his bags down and he's making a line for our players again out of nowhere. I'm about ready to do the thing that you got to do. His dad comes out of nowhere. His dad's twice my size. Literally has to tackle his son and carry him off. And I'm there with the dad. I'm there with the player. It's the other team. It's the other team. I'm, these aren't my guys. They're my guys, not my guys. And the dad's begging him, don't throw your life away. Don't. A father just trying to save his son and a son who didn't know how to be saved. Eventually, we get him back behind the fences over by the locker room. The AD comes over and he's yelling at the AD and he's trying to make a run back onto the field. He wants his pound of flesh. Eventually, we get him off Get the dad off. I have a chance to love on the dad a little bit. Say, you're, you're, you're loving your son. You're loving your son. He's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Get him off. And I stand at the track. There's this mess in front of me. Right, what am I supposed to do? Well, go do what you do. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. So I start walking towards 
our side, our players at the bench. And I said to one of the captains, circle them up. Just circle up. The guys know me. They see me. They come to me. They all take a knee. And everything goes quiet. Everything goes quiet. Our stands, those stands, as our boys knelt and prayed. They eventually called the game no contest. Basically means the game didn't count. No one won, no one lost, no one tied. It never happened. The game never happened. There was a war that didn't happen, that didn't count. Oh, but there was a war that did. There was a war that did. I walked back up to the stands. Thank you for praying. Another dad, thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. Mom coming up to me. What happened? Thank you for praying. Absolutely. 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 People eventually started to clear out because there's no contest. Everyone's going home. And I was standing next to the head coach for our team. And is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything I can do to help? Um, and again, he and I don't talk much. He's not the guy that talks much. And I'm just, I'm there being, he looks at me and he's a way of looking at you. That There's a lot going on, but you just, just you know, protect your distance. And he looks at me. Judges 6.14. I'm like, what? What just happened? Did he just quote a Bible verse to me? Like, did he just, and not just like, John 3.16. You're like, that's a great one. We always have like, who's quoting Judges 6.14? Who's dropping the hammer in the Old Testament? Like most people don't even know there's a book called Judges, right? And he just says, Judges 6.14. And he walks off. I mean, I got so many emotions. My heart's breaking for a father. My heart's breaking for the team. I was like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I just wanted to be a chaplain. I really didn't want to do anything. I'm like, Judges 614. All right. I mean, forgive me. I guess I'm completely incompetent. Do you have Judges 614 memorized? I don't have Judges 614 memorized, right? So I get back to the house and I got to find the book of Judges. Judges 6.14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Do not I send you. What if we started doing this prayer thing? So that we could start seeing these things happen. Men, what if we started praying differently, strategically, tactically, practically? Moms, mothers, what if we started doing this thing? And the good fight? We'll be amazed. 
on the back of your notes, I made some wins and wares suggestions. What if on Wednesdays we set aside that day for fasting and for prayer, interceding prayer? Fasting means to not eat food, to align the body with what we are thinking and knowing spiritually. Some of you have prayed, fasted before, you just didn't really think about it. You went through such a tragedy or a heartache, you just didn't eat for a while, right? And you look back and like, oh, I haven't eaten for four days. Well, that's the body aligning itself because of how the heart is grieving. The body joins in the process. So oftentimes we'll see fasting and prayer come together. What if we did that together on Wednesdays? We just set that aside. You know, we're, I'm not going to eat today so that I can focus on praying for those that God has brought before me. What if throughout the week or even here on Sundays, you just start walking strategically around certain places? Maybe you start walking around your home, your neighborhood, thinking geographically. I want God's presence to fall here. I mean, walking around our church building. I just, God, I, I want your presence to be here. God, I'm praying in your name and the power of the spirit that the forces of evil will be pushed back and the souls will be restored to you. We start walking around certain places, praying tactically, practically. What if you met with me here on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for 10 minutes just to pray over the ministries of the church, to breach through the forces of evil. And maybe it's just three or four of us. And then maybe because we've done this, that starts to happen over here where there's restoration and marriages are healed and addictions are, are, are triumphed over and, and souls are, are redeemed and there's more and there's more until eventually maybe we're going to encircle this whole room and pray over not just our church, but other churches in the communities where the name of Jesus is lifted up. Maybe if we started doing this, then we'll have that. his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for sharing your time with us and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope you can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.